Connection Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hello, readers. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have a great interview for you today with the well-known author, Kristen Harmel. Kristen is the New York Times bestselling, USA Today bestselling, and number one international bestselling author of The Book of Lost Names, The Winemaker's Wife, and The Forest of Vanishing Stars, as well as other books. Her novels have been translated into 29 languages and are sold all over the world. She's also the co-founder and co-host of the popular web series, Friends and Fiction. Guys, I had such a nice time talking to Kristen. She was delightful. And I mentioned in the interview that I only read the first couple chapters of her book, but I have since finished reading it at, actually, it's not her latest book. It's is The Book of Lost Names is the one we talk about mostly, although we talk about her book that just released in July called The Forest of Vanishing Stars. But this interview is set up by her UK publisher, and so we focus on The Book of Lost Names since it just released in the UK in April, I believe. We talk about that in the interview a little bit. So I highly recommend The Book of Lost Names. I haven't read The Forest of Vanishing Stars, but I'm sure that it is wonderful as well. Now, if you guys would like to know more about what books I recommend, I suggest that you check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Treat. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. One of the perks for joining my Patreon community is a monthly book review video, and I will feature some books from the podcast. I, As you know, I don't get to read all of them, but um, I do get to read a lot of them. And I often, I can tell you whether it's a book I recommend spending your time on or not. So check out that page and see if you'd like to join the community there. And now I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kristen Harmel. Kristen, I'm so glad you're joining me on the show today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Your novel, The Book of Lost Names, released last year and was an instant New York Times bestseller. It released in the UK in April. Can you tell me about this book? Yeah. So The Book of Lost Names is the story of a female forger in World War II who kind of finds her way into the French resistance by accident and winds up helping save the lives of hundreds of children. So Mm. she and her mother are fleeing the Nazis um, themselves. And she falsifies, the main character falsifies uh, documents in order to do so. So they wind up in a small French mountain town in the unoccupied zone of France, where a priest working for a local resistance network finds out about those false papers, comes to her and offers her help in getting her father out of the detention center where he's being held in exchange for her helping him with some forged documents. So she says yes and thinks, you know, I'm just doing this to help get my father out. And then my mother and I and my father will be on our way. Uh, But soon she realizes that, um, you know, with this talent that she has, she can actually help people. So soon she meets Remy, who's another accomplished forger with a little bit of a chip on his 
shoulder, um, who, uh, who kind of becomes an important part of her life and um, realizes how good she is at these forgeries. So she becomes passionate about saving these children who, um, who they're uh, falsifying documents for, but also about preserving their identities because once their names are changed, she worries that they won't be able to find their ways back home or their way back home. So she begins encoding these identities in a 1732 religious book, um, which they begin referring to as the Book of Lost Names, hence the title of the novel. But toward the end of the war, their resistance cell is blown and Remy disappears, uh, and the book goes missing too, possibly looted by the Nazis in the waning days of the war. So then we pick up with her again 60 years later. She's a librarian working in Florida, and she happens to glimpse her book, The Book of Lost Names, in an article in the New York Times about Nazi looted books and the search to return them to their rightful owners. So as the story is unfolding in the past, we also see it unfolding in 2005 um, as Ava is trying to summon the courage to go to Berlin to reunite with this book that may hold uh, these secrets and these answers that she's been waiting for for the last six decades. Mm, it's so good. I've only read the first few chapters. I I can't read every single book for every for the podcast, um, but yours is one that I'm going to finish because I oh, started. Yeah, I started reading it, and um, man, it's so good. I was just like plunged into Ava's world and feeling her emotions, especially as his fa- as her father is dragged away by the police. Um, yeah. yeah. So so, what gave you the idea for this novel? Well. You know, I've written several uh, World War II novels now, um, most of them set in France. Uh, I lived in Paris myself for a little while Mm. and um, feel very drawn to continuing to write about that country. Uh, But in the last two novels I wrote, The Winemaker's Wife, which came out in 2019, and The Room on Rue Amelie, which came out in 2018, both books um, revolved to some extent around the French resistance. And both books had mentions of people escaping using forged documents. And it was while writing and researching those books that I started to think, well, wait, who were these people who forged these documents? I wonder if their stories are interesting. How would you get into forgery? How would Mm. you learn how to forge? How would you find your way into a resistance network? Um, And I began doing research and what I found was fascinating. Um, some of the most prolific forgers were, like Ava, the, char- the main character in the Book of Lost Names, um, young Jewish people who um, who became forgers on the fly out of necessity because they needed to escape and they needed to create escape papers for their loved ones. Um, and I loved that idea of doing something to help the people you love and then realizing that this skill and this talent that you have um, stumbled upon uh, is something that can actually help the world, you know, that can help thousands of other people. Um, so the, the real life stories there really fascinated me. And I said, yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, I think this is a story idea worth pursuing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned your research a little bit. Can you tell me kind of what your research process looks like normally or? Sure. For so, books? Yeah. Um, so I, I write a, I write a book a year. That's the schedule I'm on right now. And what my year usually looks like is while I am finishing up 
um, the copy edits on the previous year's book, I am beginning the research for the next year's book. So the research, which begins with a lot of reading, takes me um, a couple of months out of the gate while I explore whether it is an idea that I have enough to go on um, in order to make the book work and, and in order to provide that strong research backbone that all historical fiction needs. Um, mm-hmm. Once I know I have the right idea and enough uh, enough information to begin shaping that into a story. Uh, I sit down and begin to outline and I outline um, very thoroughly. Uh, I'm actually in the midst of working on an outline for my 2022 novel right now. And I'm up to about 20,000 words, which is about a fifth of a finished book. And I'm still not, I'm I'm not done with it. And that's just my outline. I mean, I'm I'm a crazy outliner. So (laughs) while, while I'm outlining, I know, doesn't that sound horrifying? I know you're, I know you're a writer too. You're probably like cringing right now. Like, how are you wasting that time? <laughs> no, it's it's just that I'm a pantser, so I'm, I'm not sure how you do that. I I would love to be that organized. <laughs> well, and I would love to be I would love to be a pantser, pantser because or however you say the word, because I yeah. um, you know, I just feel like I would save myself so much grief on the front end. But that's the way my brain works. I have to have it all laid out. But it's also yeah. during that lengthy outlining that I'm doing more research, and and in uh, at that point more finite research. So mm. whereas the research I do prior to writing is very broad and helps me get kind of the broad brushstrokes of the world that I'm writing. Um, The research I'm doing while I'm outlining is more specific. It's about, you know, where can I put these moments in time and what was happening this month, this year? What would the weather have been like? You know, what time would sunrise or sunset have been? You know, those kind of things that um, kind of put more pegs in place in the story. Um, And it's at that point that I try to do whatever firsthand interviews I can do also. Um, Mm -hmm. Which, as you know, you know, when you're writing about World War II, we're kind of the people who lived through that war as adults um, are really slipping away at this point. So I think the yes. opportunities for firsthand research are getting fewer and fewer as the years go by. But um, but I consider myself really fortunate that I've still been able to reach people who can kind of tell me their firsthand uh, memories of, of those years. Yeah, that's wonderful. So valuable. Yeah. So what do you want readers to take away from this book? Uh, you know, it, it's funny. I, um, <laughs> so I, I, we might tackle this later in the, in the conversation, but you know, I, uh, I have a, um, a show myself called Friends in Fiction, which is with yes. four other authors. And one of the guests that we had on Friends in Fiction was um, a writer named Jane Ann Krentz, who's had a, a ton of books out. And she said something, this was all the way back last June. And she said something, and I'm probably slightly misquoting her, but she said, we all have one story to tell and we keep telling it over and over. And I thought mm-hmm. my first reaction to that was, well, that's not true. All of my stories are different. But it made me really sit and think. And I think the theme of the Book of Lost Names um, and the theme of my novels before that and the novels I've written since then has been this. We all have within us the ability to be extraordinary, to be the light in the darkness, to find good in the world by finding it within ourselves and by sharing that good um, with others, even if it's just in our own small corner of the world. Um, and, and that is the theme that I feel like I keep returning to again and again. And I think... Um, 
that theme is explored, um, or I explored that theme uh, pretty deeply in the book of Lost Names, because it really is about a normal young woman who finds herself in this time of extraordinary darkness. And she could have turned away. She could have said, you know what? I can save myself. And that's what's important. But she didn't. She took a risk herself, um, you know, risked her own life uh, and used what she had to help others. So, um, yeah, that's kind of something I, I keep coming back to that idea that all of us have the ability to do that, that how, you know, wherever we are in our lives, wherever we are in the world, we can be the change. Oh, that is so beautiful. I love that. When this interview releases, you will have just launched the Forest of Vanishing Stars in the U.S. Yes. So can you tell me what that novel is about? Yeah. So um, you could tell from the way I described the Book of Lost Names that I've repeated um, some version of that description. Right. You know, <laughs> r- roughly 35 billion times by now. You know, the, the, book came, the book came out about a year ago, last July. Um, but this July, this will be my much less polished description. Um the Forest of Vanishing Stars is essentially based on these absolutely incredible real-life tales of Jewish refugees in eastern Poland who escaped mm. into the wilderness during World War II and managed to survive the war and dodge the Nazis by living there in the depths of these deep, cold, inhospitable forests. And these forests were ca- were basically crawling with Germans, Russian partisans, uh, and even uh, Polish and Belarusian farmers who were searching for Jews who had bounties on their heads. So there were a million reasons that they shouldn't have survived out there, but they did. In the depths of these deep, cold, inhospitable forests that were crawling with Germans, they were crawling with Russian Mm. partisans, they were crawling with these Polish and Belarusian farmers um, who would have turned them in, you know, in a heartbeat because it would have benefited them to do so. So there were so many reasons not to survive. Um, They wound up surviving. And, you know, one example of... um, of these uh, these people um, surviving was a wonderful 2008 movie that starred Daniel Craig, as if we need another reason to watch Daniel Craig movie, right? <laughs> it's just enough to know that it's Daniel Craig. But the movie's called Defiance, and it tells the true story of the Bielski Otriad, which was the most well-known of these Jewish refugee groups, um, mm. because they saved more than 1,200 people, um, which is astounding. They set up a society wow. in the woods, and the Bielski brothers saved 1,200 people. So for the Forest of Vanishing Stars, I actually got to talk to the youngest and the only surviving Bielski brother, Aaron, Aaron Bielski, who who is turning 94 in July. But um, it was incredible to hear his firsthand recollections of life in the forest and, and the things he learned from that experience. But the book itself, The Forest of Vanishing Stars, is also sort of a coming of age in the wilderness story about a woman raised by this crazy kidnapper, this woman who kidnapped her um, years ago from her German parents and kept her hidden in the forest and kept her away from other people. So she has all these survival skills, but she doesn't know how to relate to um, to other people. And so when the woman dies, the old woman dies in 1942, and Yona, the main character, finds herself alone in the forest, um, soon she encounters a family of fleeing Jewish refugees and um, her whole life changes. She had no idea what was going on in the outside world and had no idea of the way that she might have the ability to help. So um, it is a story very deeply based on the real stories of these fleeing 
uh, Jews who survived the winters and the elements and the constant hunt for them in the forests. But it's also a fictional story of this woman named Yona who kind of comes of age and finds herself and finds her own ability to rise up and again, do something extraordinary, kind of coming back to that theme apparently I keep exploring <laughs> right? <laughs> um, by, uh, by, by helping these people. So I pitched it to my publisher and you'll laugh as Where the Crawdads Sing meets Defiance meets Rapunzel set during <laughs> World War II. And my editor was like, what? Like, I think she thought I finally <laughs> lost my mind. But um, but I, I I hope that in the finished product, you will think I am not, in fact, a lunatic, but somebody who, is, who has pieced together these really fascinating parts of a story into something, um, you know, hopefully compelling and moving and inspiring. Oh, yeah. It sounds fascinating. <laughs> um, it makes me want to read it. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I was just going to ask, you've written a lot about World War II and, and the Holocaust and the Jews. What has drawn you so much to that time period? You know, this was a path I never really intended to go down. But in 2012, uh, well, I guess I wrote it in 2010. But in 2012, the my first World War II novel, The Sweetness of Forgetting, came out. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I thought, you know, I had been fascinated with the diary of Anne Frank when I was young. Um, yeah. That was probably the most formative book of my childhood because it was the book that um, showed me in sort of that light bulb going on moment that, um, that books could change the world. I think prior Mm -hmm. to that, I thought that books were for entertainment. And if you wanted to change the world, you had to do something different with your life. But I read that book and realized you can change the world by changing the way, um, people see the world and by changing even slightly uh, the way somebody's heart connects to somebody else or the way somebody's heart connects to another person's story. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was really powerful for me because I had always wanted to be a writer, but I had also thought, you know, I need to do something really worthwhile with my life. And um, this was the thing that taught me that there was a way to do both. So Anne Frank had always stayed with me, um, so much so that every every book I've written has had a character named after her in some way, some oh. version of the name Anne in every single one of my books as like a little ode, a little private ode to her. Um, well, I guess oh. not so pri- not so private because now I'm telling you on your podcast, but. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I, I wrote The Sweetness of Forgetting and then I thought, all right, you know, I, I've done that. I loved it. I was fascinated by the research, but um, now it's time to write something else. And I wrote something else, which, you know, it, it turned out to be a book I was really proud of. It was called The Life Intended. But the whole time I was writing The Life Intended, I kept thinking, oh my gosh, this thing I found out, this would be interesting to write about. This would be interesting to write mm-hmm. about. This would be interesting to write about. And so in my next book, I kind of gave into that craving to go back to the history. Um, and since then, I have never stopped. I just keep writing about World War II, and it keeps fascinating me. Um, and, um, you know, my dad's side of the family um, is uh, has a lot of people in it that, um, that were Jews who came from Europe, from mm. Eastern Europe, and from France, the two areas I write about, uh, just before World War II, um, about a generation before World War II. World War II. And so those are like my direct ancestors, but I must have had, um, you know, their sisters and brothers and things like that who did stay behind, who were impacted by this. So the deeper I dig into my own family history, I think also the more connected I feel to telling these stories that were in fact stories that that I relate to, I think, um, in my DNA in a way. Um, Right. 
which is kind of a, an interesting thought. I don't know how much I believe in that, but certainly a little bit because I keep being led by these stories to places I didn't know I was genetically attached to until after I start writing them. <laughs> wow, that is so interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So can you share a little bit about your career path? You just said you always wanted to be a writer, but I understand you started writing professionally at the age of 16. I did. I did. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And uh, so um, I did. I started off as a a journalist uh, and I knew that I wanted to be a writer. I knew or I felt that the way into writing books was going to be to um, write for magazines and newspapers first, to kind Mm -hmm. of sharpen and hone my skills and to do something that could support me in the meantime while I tried to write a first novel. Um, But when I was 16, I just started picking up, probably 15 actually, I started picking up books about how to write for magazines and what to do if you wanted to write for magazines. And Mm -hmm. based on what those books told me, I began submitting query letters to magazines and pitching stories just the way that the books told me to do, Um, cleverly omitting the fact that I was 16 years old. And so (laughs) um, I got my first magazine assignment when I was 16 from a local sports magazine. I used to think I wanted to be a sports writer. That's how I began my career, Uh Um, which is funny because obviously I've landed kind of far from that. Um, but uh, yeah, um, the editor of that magazine did not know how old I was, and we were just corresponding. I actually think by phone and by mail at that point because it was 1995, and uh, I, you know, we had email. I think, but I don't think it would have really been a thing yet. You know what I mean? Like I was yeah. like sending him stuff in the mail, if I recall. But gosh, that makes me sound ancient now. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm older. I'm older than you, so. <laughs> Just a couple years. <laughs> I'm I'm really feeling it. You know, we're it, we're recording this podcast in in May, and I'm actually turning 42 tomorrow. So I think my age oh, is like very much in my head right birthday. now. Thank you, thank you. Um, so uh, yeah, so he didn't know how old I was because we had not met face to face. And when we finally right. did meet face to face, I can only imagine his surprise because not only was I 16, but I'm five feet tall, and I think when I was 16, I was about 90 pounds soaking wet, and I looked um I looked. 12. I mean, I looked like a 12 year old. So he, he, I just remember, I still have the clearest memory of him looking at me and saying, how old are you? And I was like, (laughs) 16, is that a problem? And he just (laughs) stared at me for the longest time and said, well, I guess not. You can write. And thus began my career. So, Oh um, my goodness. Yeah. I did that when I was in high school. I wrote for the local newspaper, the St. Pete Times as well. Uh, and then by the time I was in college, I was writing for Women's Day magazine, Men's Health magazine. And then um, I wound up interning for People magazine. And then that turned into a steady job for me which I did for for 12 years. Um, So that overlapped with the beginning of my novel writing career. Uh, And it's been a journey. I I started off writing not historical fiction, but chiclet back when chiclet was, um, you know, very, very popular. Uh, I think today we would Mm. call them romantic comedies and they've absolutely made a comeback. They're huge again, which I'm thrilled about. (laughs) Um, But it was called chiclet when I was doing it. And uh, it's it's funny to think, (laughs) yeah, it's funny to think um, that, you know, I'm writing these like deep, dark uh, world War two stories now. And uh, my first novel, which came out in 2006, was a chiclet novel called How to Sleep with a Movie Star. Not a real how-to guide, I promise. But um, it's just <laughs> funny to look back at that journey and think like, wow, I've, I've changed. My books have yes. changed. <laughs> wow. So interesting that it's changed <laughs> it's so much. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, but you can tell from, um, you know, I think all the years of writing and writing so many books just makes you a better writer. Like, it definitely shows in your writing. Yeah, you know, I I really do find that to be true. It's um even book to book, I think I mm-hmm. am still growing because you know I'm certainly by no means a perfect writer. I'm trying, I, I, you know, maybe none of us are, right? There's there's no, no such thing as perfection, but um I, I do see myself improving from novel to novel, which does make it hard sometimes. You know, I'm very self critical, so to look back even mm-hmm. at books I wrote a couple years ago. Um, you know, you just look at them and think, oh, I should have said this that way, or I should have done this, or oh, I should yeah. have done that. And um, but I, I think I think as long as you keep improving, um, you're on the right path. As as long as you're open to that improvement, you're on the right path, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So in addition to writing all of these best-selling books, you co-host and and having a five-year-old too, um, <laughs> you you co-host a weekly web show and podcast called Friends and Fiction. You just yes. mentioned that recently. Um, yes. So tell me more about this show. Well, I mean, as you can see, I just had tons of spare time on my hands and I thought, yeah. what else can I do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Luckily, there's not a pandemic going on or anything. Right. I've got plenty to do. Yeah. No. Um, so yeah. Thank you for asking about it. Friends and Fiction has been such an important part of my life over the last uh, the last year, almost year and a half now. Um, mm. We started it. it so it, it's uh, the authors are me. Um, Mary Kay Andrews, Mary Alice Monroe, Patty Callahan Henry, and mm-hmm. Christy Woodson Harvey. So all five of us are New York Times bestselling authors. Um, all five of us, um, I think combined, we've added it up and we have uh, like 85 or so books to our names. So we, you know, we come from wow. kind of a, of a, you know, half of them are Mary Kay Andrews's books because she's written like 30 of them. But, um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're kind of riding her coattails a little bit. No, um, we started okay. it last, <laughs> we, we started it last April um, during the pandemic, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, because all five of us had canceled book tours and uh, we yeah. were worrying about the independent bookseller who we were kind of letting down by not coming to events, which would no longer be happening, obviously. But we mm-hmm. worried about them surviving and we worried about how we would connect to our readers. And, you know, we kind of worried about how we would connect to each other. Writing, as you know, can be a really um, isolating thing. You're, it's just you and your computer, or you and your notepad or however you write. Um, yes. And, and uh, you know, all five of us were people who really drew a lot of inspiration from getting out on the road and meeting readers. So we said, you know, what if we start um, talking to each other about books on a weekly show on Facebook? Maybe a few people will show up and maybe this is a way to help support booksellers. We can feature a different bookseller every week and uh, we'll talk about writing and books and the writing world. And we'll kind of pull back the curtain and give people a look behind the scenes. Um our first episode was April 15th of last year, I think. And we said, okay, we'll do it for seven weeks because I'm sure that in seven weeks, by the end of May, life will be back to normal. <laughs> right. Well, we all know how that turned out. Life was not back to normal by the end of May of 2020. So, um, And by that point, we had hundreds of people tuning in. So yeah. now, again, I'm talking to you in May. And I think our Facebook group, um, which is where we host our shows, is at about 
37,500 members. Um, mm. We've hosted people like we had Chris Bojalian last week. We've had Kristen Hanna. We, um, wow. we had Delia Owens who wrote Where the Crawdads Sing. We had Britt yes. Bennett who wrote The Vanishing Half. I mean, it's, it's just, we, it, and it's so great because, you know, kind of like what you do on your podcast, we get to sit down with an author and ask them the questions that we have when we finish their books, ask them what makes them tick, what made them into the author they are today. Um, and I think that, again, similar to your podcast, it's an author talking with other authors. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that gives you something um, something special, something that's that's just a, I, I don't know, you already kind of start out with this, this meeting of minds, I think, at the beginning. So it's been a really special thing to do. We've um, worked with a lot of bookstores. Um, yeah, we have a podcast now also. Um, I'll have to get some tips. Our podcast is just getting off the ground, Allison. So you'll have to <laughs> give us some wisdom. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's been great. We have the Facebook Live and YouTube show. We write a weekly column for Parade Magazine for their website. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to start doing some live events when it starts feeling safe. So uh, right. it's, it's been a gift and I'm really grateful to the people who have followed us. And if you haven't seen a Friends in Fiction episode yet and you're not with us um, on our Facebook group, I would encourage you to join if you like books. Um, you can just find us on Facebook at Friends in Fiction. And if you're not on Facebook, um, we also uh, are easily findable on um, YouTube. We have a Friends in Fiction YouTube channel too. Awesome. I'm going to start watching. Thanks. Um, yeah. It sounds wonderful. I did. I went to the Facebook page when I was prepping for this interview and yeah. I was like, wow, why have I not watched this already? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure everybody listening likes books, so they would like your show. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. We have a lot of fun. Yeah. So this is a question I ask all my guests. Okay. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Oh, that's a great question. What a fantastic question. And you know what? I think it's going to go back to um, the answer I had earlier about theme. So I think mm-hmm. that one lesson that history teaches us again and again is that as human beings, we all have the capacity to find our strength in the difficult times. So I talked earlier about how we all um, can dig deep and uh, find uh, find our own extraordinary, find our own way to kind of light that flame and, and light the world. Um, but I think that is particularly applicable to difficult times that we find ourselves in in the modern day too. And I think that's one reason um, why World War II seems to be really resonating with people right now. Mm-hmm. Cer- certainly that's a lesson that we can draw from a lot of areas of history. I, I mean, a- you know, anytime people faced challenges in history, which is what we're writing about anytime we're writing historical fiction, right? You're not writing right. about the unchallenging times. <laughs> um, you, you know, that would, maybe would not make for an interesting book. You're writing for times right. when people either, either the world or individuals faced challenges, right? Yes. Um, But I think World War II in particular feels very relevant today because it didn't happen that long ago. Um, Mm -hmm. And there are still lessons to take away from it. And I think one of those lessons is that people just like us 
you know, 75 or 80 years ago, were faced with darkness, were faced with difficulty, and found a way through and found themselves better and stronger on the other side. And I think that learning about history for me, and hopefully reading about history for you, uh, reminds you of the same, that wherever we find ourselves in the world, wherever we find ourselves in history, we have the opportunity to rise up, to be strong, to be extraordinary, and to make the world a better place. Absolutely. That's so inspiring. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So Kristen, this has been a wonderful conversation. Can you tell my listeners what's the best way for them to follow you? Sure. Yeah, Allison, it's been wonderful talking with you too. And I really appreciate you having me on. Um, if you are interested in finding out more about me or following along, um, especially I'm sure I'll be pretty active on social media uh, this summer when this podcast comes out, because we'll certainly mm-hmm. be talking a lot about the Forest of Vanishing Stars. And um, also in the UK, they're going to be releasing The Winemaker's Wife, which was my 2019 US novel. I think that'll be coming out there this fall. So there'll be plenty to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kristen Harmel. You can find me on Facebook at Kristen Harmel Author. And you can follow my website or follow me on my website where I'll be posting tour dates and things like that at kristenharmel.com. And that is, um, and I know, Allison, you probably have to tell people all the time how to spell Allison. Um, yes, there's, I do. There, there are several ways to spell Allison, just as there are several ways to spell Kristen, but it is K R I S T I N. Harmel, which is H-A-R-M-E-L. So that that is the way to find me. Great. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Allison. I appreciate you having me. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed hearing Kristen talk about her books as much as I did. If you are enjoying Historical Fiction Unpacked, please subscribe to the podcast. And also, if you could leave a review for the show, that would be awesome. It would help other readers of historical fiction to find the show. Also, please check out the show notes. They can often be found in whatever app you use to listen to the podcast, but they can always be found at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. I will provide links there to Kristen's books and to um, the Friends in Fiction, as well as to Kristen's social media accounts. And also, that's how you can find the Facebook group. You can either go to the show notes, and there will be a link there to our Facebook group, or you can search on Facebook for Historical Fiction Unpacked podcast group. And we talk about the show in there every week and discuss um, different reads, and and whatever you want to discuss about historical fiction is fair game in that group. So join us there. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, check out my Patreon and see if you're interested at patreon.com slash Allison Treat. Allison is, as always, with one L. Now, I mentioned on the last few podcasts that I'm an editor and I am looking for new clients right now, beginning in the fall. So I'm booked for the rest of the summer. But if you are an author or an aspiring writer and you want um, editing, Beginning after Labor Day in the US, you can shoot me an email at allison at allisontreat.com or just go to my website. It's very straightforward there and easy to figure out how to get a quote, allisontreat.com. But definitely don't wait on that. Um, Shoot me an email as soon as possible so I can get you in my schedule for the fall. In addition to that, speaking of Labor Day, this is the last episode before Labor Day. I will be taking 
a short break and starting up with episodes again, which that'll be season three. And we have some really great interviews lined up for season three. So I'm going to be speaking with Patty Callahan Henry and with Amanda Dykes and also with Kimberly Duffy, who was on the show last year, but we're going to be talking about her upcoming book this time. So I wanted to leave you guys with a quote from the Book of Lost Names because I was just so struck by, I guess, the end of this book, or even within this book, there were some glimpses of just recognizing that not never is everyone in a particular people group to blame for something that uh, members of that people group did. So speaking specifically of the Germans, so um, I just was really struck by this quote at the end of the book when Ava, the main character, who is Jewish, meets a German man and he apologizes to her for what the Nazis did. And she says, Sir, we are only responsible for the things we do or fail to do ourselves. You owe me no apology. So my friends, keep reading historical fiction and I will talk to you again in September. September. 